Right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined as always by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. And this is a special Sunday night episode because Tottenham have just won the North London derby, beating Arsenal 2-1 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Charlie, please tell me we can call it a Mourinho masterclass. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of, maybe. Um, I mean... I was thinking back to your piece from January, I think, Jack, uh, after the Liverpool game, and you, you talked in there about the kind of slight randomness of Mourinho masterclasses in that they do sort of rely on the opposition not taking their chances and then uh, you know Spurs conjuring something up. And it, and it felt a bit like that. I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty even game. I thought either side could have won it. Yeah, I guess a masterclass of sorts in that they invited Arsenal on them and then picked them off at times on the counter in the second half. Um, obviously, the goal was from a, a set piece. The second goal was from a set piece, and the first goal was just kind of catastrophic defending. But look, it, it was it was definitely an improvement. And if you can't enjoy a come from behind win against your loathed rivals, then you know you may as well give up. So whether it was a masterclass or not. Uh, it's probably debatable, but it was a really, really valuable win. I think that was pretty much exactly what I expected from from Mourinho's Tottenham when he first took over. It just felt like it had all of the sort of hallmarks of a of a classic Mourinho performance, perhaps maybe with a little bit less shit housing, I guess. It, it, even than we've seen in some of the other games in the last few weeks, it was a sort of relatively rigid defensive display. I think they were pretty solid. They didn't expose themselves too often, which is a, is something they've done quite a lot in the last few weeks. Um, and they looked to counter-attack when they had the opportunity, but they didn't sort of overstretch themselves and leave any gaps. Uh, and against a decent side like Arsenal, and, and, you know, I think where Arsenal are at now is probably actually slightly better than what the league suge- uh, league position would suggest. I think that's entirely acceptable. And it was a really good performance. And a, and a couple of players who I think we've probably been quite critical of over the last few weeks and months, perhaps, uh, but particularly for me, Lucas and Sissoko, both played really well in slightly different roles to, to the roles we've seen them play for much of a season. So, you know, I don't think you can write that off as a coincidence. I think you have to credit the manager with that. I just thought they looked a lot better. Um, you know, a bit more of a four-four-two. Um, it, it just felt like they had a few more options on the ball going forward than than they have done uh, often in recent weeks. And yeah, I, I think it really suited Sissoko there in a way. Like he he was really he was able to really put a shift in. And yeah, Lucas was really, really good. And that is why he gets picked and that's what he can do. And yeah, he's not to everyone's taste. But, you know, in games like that where a lot of it does come down to 
slightly less fashionable things maybe like desire and work rate and you know he was putting in tackle after tackle um yeah I, I agree with James I thought those those two really stood out um and uh yeah because these derby games are often you know th- they do require that level of industry and um putting your foot in and putting a shift in so yeah credit to them and, and yeah credit to Mourinho for, for shifting things around and and getting a much better performance than certainly against Bournemouth in midweek what, what I would say about those two players I think actually they, they quite often when sort of Lucas plays on one wing and Soko plays through the middle what you actually find quite often is they, they get in each other's way and when, when they're playing on opposite flanks that's just kind of less of a thing and it felt like it just works so much better that way yeah I thought that worked really well like I, I think Sissoko is often he's better out wide than he is in the middle like we all know that he's not really got the the kind of technical skill of like a, a normal central midfielder but his he can be so dangerous in those wide areas like I remember I think it was a Euro 2016 where he played a fair bit for France out on the right hand side of midfield and was really good I think he played there a fair bit for Newcastle and he was kind of signed like as a as a wide player rather than a midfielder for Tottenham although of course his career's gone in the slightly Different direction, and to be honest, he was the Lucas, best player in that final, but in the Euro twenty sixteen yeah. final, he was the best yeah, player was. on the pitch that night. Yeah, uh, playing that position. Yeah, because it was a really strange game. Like both, the, I remember, I remember like thinking both teams were really bad, and it was funny how Sissoko was the best. Whereas with Lucas, also like frankly, you know, we give him a fair bit of stick on this podcast for his sort of selfishness or sort of lack of like team team awareness. I think at points, but. It was his brilliant pass through to Kane, which won the corner that that set up the winner. There were two of those passes, I think, over the course of the game, and I, I just can't. I mean, I'm sure there have been some, but off the top of my head, I can't really think of any any times I've seen him do that. Yeah, it's, I, I I don't think of more as selfish. I think it's more that yeah, he doesn't get his head up. Um, more yeah, as you said, like an awareness thing rather than necessarily um, kind of wanting the glory. But and and I think with Sissoko, I mean, I did a big piece on him a few weeks ago before the restart, looking at how he's changed and his position has changed. And it is interesting because he did come, certainly at Newcastle, he started as uh, a really exciting winger. He scored, I think, two on his debut, burned Ashley Cole. Uh, and it was one of those quite deceptive debuts because I think we thought we had this like goal-scoring winger on our hands at Newcastle. And then he has kind of evolved into this more central player. But yeah, I do wonder, certainly as an option. And it does provide Aurier with a bit more protection. And there were times when Sissoko dropped into right back and Aurier could uh, could play a bit further forward. Uh, so it's, it's definitely... And, and that's why he's such a valued player, because he can play in a lot of different positions. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see him because I think he... he Sissoko, uh, you know, he's he's been ridiculed a bit over the course of his Tottenham career. And it, is, it's, it was nice to see him kind of step up in a game like that and um, and really deliver. Premier League football is back underway and right now we're offering a 30-day free trial to The Athletic for a limited time only. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up and try out some of the best football writing anywhere between now and the end of the season. You can also access our whole network of podcasts ad-free. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Charlie, can we talk a little bit just about the f- the flow of the game? My impression was it it looked like a really a really energetic first half from both teams, and then with a kind of big drop off from Tottenham in the first half of the second half before they came back at the end. Is that is that right? Do you think they ran out of legs? Yeah, that, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, the the drinks break midway through the second half definitely seemed to favour them over Arsenal. The the first half of the second half, Arsenal looked on top, and that was the period when Aubameyang hit the bar, and and you thought, well. 
you know, Spurs have had two days less to recover from Bournemouth. Is this, um, are they going to pay for this? And, and I think, you know, Arteta may regret the fact he didn't really, he wasn't really brave enough to go for the kill at that point. He didn't make changes um, until it was too late, really. And Spurs got a bit of a second wind, a little bit like they did against United um, in that first game back. Um, and once they had that, and then they got the goal and they could really sort of dig in and and from the moment they scored Arsenal were offered very little but yeah that was definitely the period when it sagged and yeah credit to the players and credit to the manager I suppose for for lifting them uh, when it did look as if the game was slightly getting away from them yeah in that sense the game that the game that it reminds me of was when Tottenham went to Wolves in December and won 2-1 in the sense that they you know both games they started really strongly then they were pushed back in the second half and then they nicked it right at the end with a set piece. I think the Wolves game was for Tongan and today it was Alderweireld. But it, it does make you think that, you know, whatever you might say about Mourinho's Tottenham, they are quite good at these counter-attacking games. Like, you know, like City at home when they won 2-0 was a slightly different one, but there's some similarities. And then even United and Liverpool at home, I think Spurs played pretty well, even if they didn't get the result they wanted either time. And, you know, obviously there are separate questions about what happens with, you know, Everton at home and Bournemouth away. But um, you, clearly, this is the kind of thing that Mourinho's Tottenham are good at. Do you, do you feel like in this type of game, they are moving in the right direction? Yeah, I think they are. And, and the the recurring complaint from a lot of people I've heard over the last week or so is that they don't know what Mourinho's Tottenham are. You know, they, they, they seem uh, like a bit of a mishmash. They're not really sure what their style is. I think, yes... Um, I'm not saying fans want them to settle into this sort of pattern, but at least in the games you've mentioned, you you, you get a sense of what they're trying to do. Um, and today was like that. You know, the, the, I, Arteta made a bit of a dig, I think, in his press conference. That was how I heard it, you know, saying that Spurs sat in their low, low block and played direct. But it worked. And ultimately, you are going to be judged on results. And certainly in a game like, you know, the North London derby, I'm sure James would agree that, you know, it might not have been the most thrilling display, but when you win 2-1, you're, you're not that bothered. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing I would say is, I, I think you're right to mention it, Jack, that Spurs do need to find a way of more effectively winning the other matches. I think, as you say, they're moving in the right direction against the better teams. And, I mean, in a way, actually, that that you could argue that was an area of improvement on, on, on uh, Pochettino Spurs already, really, because he's got two victories against top sides. Um which is something that Pochettino struggled to do. I mean, to be fair, he did do it quite regularly at home, I suppose, you could argue. Um, but yeah, you, you look at games like Bournemouth on Thursday night and clearly the tone of his podcast would have been quite different if we'd recorded on, on Thursday night rather than uh, Sunday night. Are you saying we're reactive, James? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Like, I'm conscious that people have complained about us being too negative after wins, so we should be very positive this, uh, this time. Um but yeah, I do think it is important that over the summer when Spurs are addressing the weaknesses they have in the team, and I think we would probably say the key ones are defensive, that they also try and bring in a, a, another player uh, at the other end of the pitch who can perhaps unlock a sort of deep defence so we don't see a situation like we did on Thursday night at Bournemouth when Spurs you know, couldn't muster a shot on target. Uh, it context to that, though, is as we record this, Bournemouth have just gone 3-1 up against Leicester, so clearly not that bad a side. So a point gained. How much do you think, like, if there wasn't the... I mean, we we can't really know, but I'm interested. Like, if there wasn't the um, kind of expectation, A, because Tottenham are a 
you know, have been a regular top four side over the last few years. They're a big club. They have traditions of playing good football. Um, I wonder if you take all of those things away and Mourinho might think, well, they are actually just better suited to sitting deep. But obviously that would go down incredibly badly if they did that in certain games. But I wonder if they might, uh, in his eyes, be more effective doing that. It, it wouldn't be pretty to watch. I think if you're doing that in the right games and you're getting results and it's it's clearly working, then I don't really think people will actually will have a problem with it. If Spurs are beating Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, whoever, or continuing to do that, then I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about the way Spurs are playing in those matches. It, it, it's the other side of the coin, isn't it? It's, it's clicking through the gears in the other games where you think maybe they're a little bit a little bit ponderous when they have a lot of the ball. Uh, and that is that is a problem they need to solve because, I mean, they're clearly they're clearly missing someone like Ericsson who creates a lot of chances for other players, um, and you know particularly without Deli Ali in the team as well that that that's clearly been a big problem. And James, how much do you think this win will change the atmosphere of Spurs fans? Because the impression that I get on you know from my sort of limited access to what Spurs fans think through my own mates and Twitter is that. There's been a real turn against Jose, you know, after the last two games. Do you think that will, like, do you think that's representative? And do you think that today will change that? Uh, I mean, on my time on it, it kind of felt like it was, so pre-Sheffield United, it was kind of, at worst for Mourinho, 50-50. But over the course of those sort of, it's now 4-1 to Bournemouth. Um, over the course, I don't know why I'm giving a score update on a game that I've already seen the score. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, over the course of those last uh, previous three matches, when I mean Spurs won against Everton but played quite poorly, were absolutely dreadful at Sheffield United, particularly in the second half, and were flat for more or less the entire ninety minutes against Bournemouth. Basically, it felt like sort of r- roughly forty percent had kind of flipped over, so it was like ninety ten against Mourinho. Say. Um, so, so it's probably safe to say that it, people had turned, but you know, <laughs> I think we all know that a result in a game like this uh, can make quite a big difference, um, particularly when it's combined with a, a sort of mature performance uh, and one that kind of gives you a vision of how that team can play going forward, particularly, as we say, in the games against the top sides. So I'd be far less worried about that those kind of games than it would be, you know, say Newcastle on Wednesday night. I'd be very interested to see how how they followed up that performance on Wednesday night against Newcastle because it, it you know I think I think you would he would be um Mourinho would certainly win a few more people over with a sort of comfortable two or three nil win against New, a Newcastle side who let's be honest blow hot and cold. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. One thing I was thinking earlier when I was looking back to the results, and I think maybe this is just me knowing that I shouldn't be too mean about Mourinho because we get criticised for that. Like, Spurs have now only conceded one goal in the last three games, and that was the Lacazette screamer. You know, the return of Alderweireld to the defence has, 
you know, has made, I think, the back four look even better. And frankly, if you take the Sheffield United second half out of the equation, then the last six games actually haven't been that bad. Like, am, is, am, am I being ridiculous here? Or They were pretty good against United. They were good against West Ham. Sheff- Sheffield United was very mixed. They scraped past Everton. Bournemouth was bad. And then they won today. Like, it's not... Am, yeah. am, am I just seeing this through the spectacles of victory? Or, or is there actually something here? Well, well I, mean, I think I, I don't think they've played incredible attacking football, and I don't think anyone would argue that they had. But I think if you look at some of those results, particularly the early ones, through the context of what else we've seen since, so Manchester United have won every other game other than the game they drew against Spurs since the restart, I, I believe, uh, and West Ham uh, subsequently beat Chelsea and absolutely smashed Norwich, a team who Spurs have really struggled against this season. So you can kind of look at that and say, well, actually. Drawing with Manchester United clearly wasn't that bad and beating West Ham in a sort of fairly tepid game is clearly actually quite good. So, you know, I I wouldn't say it's been, it's been, you know, rip-roaring stuff, but clearly it's not been an absolute disaster either. Our colleague Alex Kajelski, he tweeted earlier that Mourinho's first 22 Premier League games in charge of Spurs, and this was prior to today, was is one ten drawn five lost seven. Klopp's first twenty two at Liverpool was one nine drawn six lost seven. And obviously, you know the point that it does take time. And I was thinking about that, and I I find it really interesting with Mourinho because he has so much pedigree of for, for a pedigree manager. I don't think anyone would get written off as quickly as him you know and even if Arteta had had those results at Arsenal and he probably has had pretty similar his results haven't been amazing but you know there's been direction of travel and likewise Frank Lampard has had good results but they haven't been sensational but I think you know Mourinho he hasn't really been given you know people have been very very quick to write him off and and that is based on previous experience that they think he isn't the right fit and he plays a certain way etc etc but he is, it is, you know, we do maybe lose sight of the fact it is he's midway through his first season. It's not even his first full season, um, a season that was going pretty catastrophically when he took over. And and this isn't to say I think he'll be a success or I think he won't be a success. I, we, we don't know, but it probably is just <laughs> way too early to judge. And But obviously because it's Mourinho, you know, you kind of feel like you can judge a lot quicker than I think you would if it was if it was anyone else and the results were similar or even worse. I think we would just be saying, give it, you know, let at least let the guy have a, a pre-season and a full season before we completely condemn him. Charlie, after the Sheffield United game, Mourinho was obviously very, very critical of the players' mentality. Did you see anything in the way that they played and competed today that suggested that the players were responding to that in a positive way? To an extent, it's, it's hard to know how much that was the North London derby factor and how much that was, um, you know, because t- teams will often be really up for these games, um, I- irrespective. So I don't know. I mean, I, that, and again, that's not to say they're not responding to Mourinho. Certainly they have they have shown, um, you know, a bit more mental toughness since then. So it's possible that those words you know, resonated with some of them. I'm sure some of the players... To an extent, agreed. You know, these are players who, you know, have, you know, they, they will be having some of these conversations themselves um, in the dressing room. It's not just going to be the manager. Uh, you know, he, he encourages his players to have these sort of confrontations and the and challenge one another. So I think there's been a degree of that. 
today was you know it was it was certainly a much you know they showed a lot more fight a coming back straight away yes they were given a leg up and also just you know hanging in the game throughout when even when they were up against it a bit and when i'm sure a lot of them did feel physically pretty shattered having had such a short turnaround time that they did dig in and so Mourinho will be a lot more pleased with with that mental fortitude certainly than he would have been in that Sheffield United game um obviously we don't fully we, we don't fully know because you know Sheffield United there was this kind of perceived injustice in a way that there wasn't today we, and they didn't even really play long enough being behind for us to see how they would have responded because they were were given an equaliser pretty much straight away but yeah certainly they they showed more fight than they did in that game which where they pretty much collapsed after conceding the second Charlie what was the sense what was it like in terms of atmosphere at the game because obviously I mean it looked a little bit more up tempo than most of the lockdown games have been on telly but obviously as a derby with no fans it must have been a slightly strange experience yeah it was weird I, I, I did feel it was a bit more vocal um, than the other games um, you know just a bit more kind of both managers and sets of players pepping each other up and constant chatter uh, so it was slightly different in that regard but still I mean we're talking about a fraction of uh, of the noise it would have been and you did keep thinking god this would be, especially because that first half was really exciting I thought there was loads going on and you did just think wow this and a few of us were saying that to one another like this is great but God, it would be just so much better, wouldn't it? And it's just such a shame and that so many people are missing out on this because I think it would have gone down as uh, you know a really exciting um, derby and especially one where you come from behind to win. Uh, and it was so strange just going there and it was all the streets are empty and all of this kind of thing, which made me also think about that uh, that weird sort of narrative that were fans just going to congregate outside grounds. And as I kind of arrived at this completely deserted stadium, that, that seemed pretty far-fetched. I think it would have been like one of the all-time classics first home games, I think that. With with fans in the crowd. You know, bear in mind, it's the first derby at the new stadium. Spurs come from behind to win in a moment where it's felt like they're sort of on their backside a little bit and, and Arsenal are in the ascendancy. It just would have been... I, I mean, I guess it would have been something akin to the 2014-15 one where, where Harry Kane scored twice. That kind of felt like a bit of a turning point and I wonder whether this with fans in the ground would have been a similar sort of you know euphoric experience but sadly was not to be that Harry Kane header game was incredible like yeah that was I, co- I covered that in my old job and I remember thinking like the atmosphere when he scored that header and then afterwards and there was such a buzz because that was just when Spurs I think had turned that corner in that first season uh, I was what it's a few weeks after the Chelsea 5-3 I think yeah, and there was this. There's a sense that, like, hold on a second, this this guy might be seriously good. This, I mean, as in both Kane and Pochettino himself. Um, and it was, a sh- and it, yeah, you're absolutely right, Charlie and James. It's, it is a shame that the stadium that was built to have games like this couldn't have what sixty two thousand people or whatever the attendance is. For, for it was the first game. home derby uh, against Arsenal that I've watched on TV since I think. Uh, November 1995, I believe. Really? That was another Arsenal going 1-0 up and then Tottenham winning 2-1. In fact, I think that's wrong. I think that was wrong. I think it might be the season before I'm thinking of. There's one where Popescu scored. Oh, and John, on uh, January 2nd, I think. Of, uh, mm, yeah, early in the year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that one's the one I mean. That was the one. So even yeah. longer. Yeah, 1-0. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's so many that weren't on TV in, in the olden days. If you can imagine... A game like that not being on Sky every single time, but they regularly weren't in in those times. Yeah, it's true. So yeah, twenty five years. 
One last one before we, we head off. Charlie, what have you written about in your piece? Not only was it a six-pointer, it was also potentially a very, very important game financially because by winning it, um, Tottenham leapfrogged Arsenal in the table into eighth position, which is currently the last Europa League spot. Europa League is worth can be worth around £40 million um, to, to a team. That's what Chelsea and Arsenal got for, around that for winning it. Uh, and this is, you know, from TV rights and prize money, you get a bit more from match there as well. Uh, that's what Chelsea and Arsenal got from winning it and reaching the final last year. And obviously that money would then be taken away from Arsenal. So that's about an £80 million swing, uh, which at any time is pretty significant. And especially now, given um, the global pandemic and you know Spurs paying off the stadium and all of this. So it's it's actually looking at how significant uh, that could be. And the fact that I think for a lot of people, it felt like, you know, this there was this wasn't such a high stakes game, um, but that really could be quite important. And then Mourinho was talking about after the game how, you know, the Europa League is something they really want to win. Uh, it's a competition he has won obviously twice before, and it does. You know, so it's not just the financials; it's also a trophy potentially in itself to go after and a, a route another route back into the Champions League. So. Yeah, potentially quite a significant uh, win, uh, bragging rights aside. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm kind of having mixed feelings about Tottenham in the Europa League next year because, of course, in a sense, it's like a big step down because they were in the Champions League final in 2019. On the other hand, you know, Spurs have spent a lot of time in the Europa League in the last decade or so. It's quite, It can be quite a fun competition if you get through to the, the serious end of it. It's obviously not exactly what was intended when they built the stadium, but... Um, I would kind of fancy their chances as well, just because they do have all that. They have European experience in the players. They have obviously a manager who is very experienced in the competition as well. Um, and you know, it could be a first trophy. They should do well. I mean, if you look before this season, in the, in the last few years when big six clubs have been in it, you had United winning it in sixteen seventeen, seventeen eighteen Arsenal semi, and then eighteen nineteen Arsenal Chelsea was the final. So because they're at such a massive advantage, you know, Spurs have a squad that's set up for this sort of thing and a lot of the teams they're competing against don't really. So they 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 should go deep in that competition if they get to it. And, you know, we don't know if um what the situation will be with fans getting back in, but you know, once you, obviously the group stages is pretty laborious, but once you get to deep into the competition, you can have some good teams, um, you know, up against you, and and those potential potential for some for some pretty good nights. And 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 look, it's everyone I spoke to for that piece is like, yeah, it's not the Champions League, clearly, both from a revenue point of view, from a prestige point of view, from a footballing point of view, but it is still a lot better than nothing, and. Spurs and Arsenal really need that uh, income stream. And so to deprive the other one is, uh, you know, a really nice bonus as well. James, could you get excited about Batty Borisov and progress in the corner? <laughs> that, uh, that group stage really is, uh, is interminable, isn't it? It just feels like... It's terrible. Know, it's like international friendly. I think, I, I, think I showed Charlie a photograph that I tweeted like five or six years, <laughs> six or seven years ago um, of one of the stalls outside White Helene selling scarves. And I think it was... An official UEFA scarf, Europa League Group J, I think it was, or K. Let me maybe. try and get it up. It was yeah. a, lu- a ludicrous letter that just shouldn't lend itself to a group in a European competition. Was that in 2014 15 when they had Besiktas? N- no, it wasn't. No, it Group wasn't as sexy K. As that. Who, who, uh, let me Sheriff. guess, Carabag, Carabag, Sheriff, and um, I was going to say PAOK, Asteras Tripolis, no. maybe? It's no, you, you got Sheriff is correct. Can you remember the other two, James? I mean, you. Uh, I, yeah, I do. It's Tromsø. You, you should do. Everyone. I think Ericsson scored his first goal in the home game. 
Tromzo, Sheriff, and Angie, yeah. Angie, right, yeah. God, that group stage, they suppose it's go to Tiraspol in Moldova, Moscow, and Tromzo. That is suboptimal, yeah, that isn't is it? Not, I mean, that, that is the thing about the Europa League as well, isn't it? Just due to the way like the hierarchy of European football works, there are more teams from like Eastern Europe and kind of the, the far end of, of Scandinavia in there. So you can find yourself with some pretty horrible journeys if, um, if you're not lucky with the draw. But to, to go back and answer your question properly, Jack, yeah, I, I, would, I, I, would be, I think it would be good for Spurs to be in that. I mean, aside from anything else, you're going to give players like Skip, maybe Parrot, the opportunity to play some games, I'm sure, you know, Circuit, maybe a couple of the others as well. Just a good chance for them to play you know, in and among the, uh, the senior players. So I think it, I think it would be, it, it would definitely be beneficial for the, for the club and for the team to be, to be in that. While we're doing Spurs Europa League nostalgia banter, I remember doing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the score. So one of the in, best forms of banter. <laughs> it's going to be a lot uh, of this next season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was in November. I think it was December 2014 against Besiktas in the not. So this is while Besiktas were building their new stadium, the Vodafone Arena. So it was at the Ataturk, which was where the 2005 Champions League final was, and where the Champions League final was meant to be this year. And it was when Pochettino had basically decided which players he liked and didn't like. And it was all the players that he didn't like. So like Kabul, Kapu, those guys. And the only the only thing I remember about the game is the floodlights went off a few times. So we had like long lengthy stoppages while all the players went. I think the players oh, yeah. at one point went into the dressing room and yeah. they had to try and, I, try I and turn that. the floodlights back on. Yeah, so more, more of that next year, please. Uh, I think that's probably all we've got time for in today's podcast. But thank you very much, everyone, for listening. You can read Charlie's piece on The Athletic tomorrow morning. Um, if you're interested in something slightly different, I've written a story uh, which is a history of football parody accounts, looking at the kind of peak parody account years from about Euro 2012 to about 2015-16, where they were everywhere, and what trying to find out why they are not as popular now as they used to be. We'll be back with another podcast, I imagine after next weekend's games but there'll be plenty more content about Tottenham and other teams on The Athletic during the week. Uh, Thank you very much James, Tom and Charlie and we'll see you next time. Mm